it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you're having a wonderful Tuesday. It's going to get better. Alan West at the bottom of the hour. What about that allegation in Texas that they're using COVID funds to help at the border? So what? You actually stranded Texas, uh, and you said, uh, the hell with the border. They have to use their own people there, costing the people of Texas money. They should be using federal money for that. We'll discuss that. And Dan Henniger will be with us in a matter of moments, talking about the need to disband the disinformation panel before it actually gets started with their joke of a dis- dis- disinformation uh, czar. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The New York Post has also reported something that's pretty significant. Joe Biden made $11 million the first year that he was out of the White House in 11 months. That's a lot of money to make for somebody that has never had any business relationships at all. Yeah, this is crying out for an investigation. Yeah, I no doubt about it. Maybe it all starts with his son, Hunter, and maybe a lot of the disinformation starts with Christopher Steele. Stunning detailed breakdown as the fictional but impactful Steele dossier is broken down by the Wall Street Journal. Latest on Hunter Biden and his sugar bro finances his life in Malibu while paying off a $2 million, $2 million tax bill. The GOP focuses on honest investigation and the roadblocks that remain. Number two. I would like to find out who the leaker is so I could make sweet love to that person. That person is a hero <laughs> to me. If the leaker is a Republican uh, and if I get pregnant during our lovemaking, I will joyfully abort our fetus. <laughs> yeah, that's a hysterical comedy from Lori Kilmartin. Emotions boiling over with the imminent overturn of Roe v. Wade as protesters focus on the Supreme Court justices' homes and churches. No joke. Sadly, the worst is yet to come as extremists take over the life and death debate. Number one. Two-thirds to even 70 percent of inflation data is a result of energy prices. A, A large part of that is the result of President Putin's invasion of Ukraine and the impact on the global energy markets. I got this. That's what President Biden uh, would have you believe as he does what he does best, and that's blame everybody else for our financial woes, much of which trace back to his policies and Joe's blame game. Green first, triata- green first strategy will fix nothing. We go over the details. Uh, and right now, the President of the United States today is going to be holding a bilateral meeting with the Italian Prime Minister, Mario Draghi, who happens to be uh, somebody who is trying desperately to get his country off Russian oil, and I respect that. And the president will deliver remarks in about two hours uh, about how he plans on fighting inflation and why he's so much better than the ultra-maga right. That's the new thing, ultra-maga. And Senator Graham and Blumenthal will hold a press conference together to talk about the uh, the rush of, uh, the war Russia and Ukraine, which I think is great. So let's bring in Dan Henniger. Well, it was great to hear from him. Uh, the Wall Street Journal, he's deputy editor of the editorial page and opinion columnist. Dan, welcome back. 
Good to be with you, Brian. Hey, Dan, the Wall Street Journal has some of the brightest minds, especially when it comes to the economy. Do you think the president has been doing everything he can with a bad hand? Or do you think some of this responsibility uh, stays with him right now when it looks at inflation and the stock market specifically? Well, he's the president of the United States. And uh, for better or worse, if you're sitting in the Oval Office and inflation rises like this or the economy staggers, guess who gets blamed? The president. That's just the way it is. Uh, that's the politics of it. Now, to look at the substance, uh, you know, the, the, the president continues to try to blame inflation on Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. As has been pointed out numerous times, the inflation began before that invasion. And the inflation is pretty clearly the result of the Biden uh, and the Democrats flooding the country with liquidity last year. They spent $2 trillion on COVID relief. And uh, it's a simple matter of monetary policy principle that when you flood the economy with much liquidity, you're going to create an extraordinary amount of demand, which they did. Can you imagine if they got billed back better? Yeah. Oh, my God. It would have been, you know, we'd have 15 percent inflation. The supply chains have broken down. Uh, The demand supply is nowhere meeting the demand that's out there. And as a result, uh, prices are rising. Uh, and, you know, if when the last time this happened in the early 1980s, when Ronald Reagan was president, the answer was to release the private economy through deregulation and tax cuts. What is the Biden presidency doing? The exact opposite, re-regulating the economy, especially energy, and uh, proposing tax increases on corporations and the wealthy. So uh, right. he's going to pay the price for this rising inflation. Uh, well, I, I definitely want to get to your disinformation governance board uh, column, but I want to get, have you respond to this. What they do best to the White House, and I'm sure they all do the White House to a degree, is blame. And they're blaming now Senator Rick, all Republicans for Senator Rick Scott's proposal, which includes things where people should be paying taxes regardless of what you make, even if it's a dollar. And that's pretty much the premise. Mitch McConnell didn't sign on to it. Neither did any other Republicans. Cut five. And as for tomorrow, the president plans to offer, as you said, a contrast. Um, and it was written, quote, to congressional Republicans' ultra-maga plan to raise taxes. Now, the Washington Post has called that claim false, that there is a Republican congressional plan to raise taxes. Why is this statement still being shared? Because Chairman Scott's plan, and we welcome him. We know he's asked for people to go to his website. We would encourage people to do the same thing and check out his plan that raises taxes for people making less than $100,000 a year. So should Rick Scott's proposal, whether you like it or not, represent the Republicans' proposal? We're going to raise taxes? No, uh, certainly not. I mean, tax policy is set in the uh, Senate Finance and House Ways and Means Committee uh, and by the leadership there, not by uh, the fellow who's running the Senate Free uh, Congressional Senate Reelection campaign. Uh, But it is a a piece with this White House's, excuse me, constant uh, efforts to change the subject or blame people in ways that I think strike the average voter and listener out there is completely preposterous. And it is a sign of desperation that they've run out of anything resembling credible explanations for their policies. No question. So in your column, we talk about this disinformation panel that they've set up within Homeland Security. And I don't know anybody that thinks it's a good idea outside the administration. Mayorka says we probably could have done a better rollout, but it's definitely needed. 
Uh, you feel exactly the opposite. Well, absolutely, especially given the uh, person that they've not only nominated, they've put in charge of this uh, disinformation governance board, Nina Jankowitz, uh, who, you know, the argument has been that it is merely about disinformation from Russia, China, Iran, and our foreign enemies, which is to say propaganda. But Ms. Jankowitz, in her writings at the Wilson Center, or the reports she's done, has made clear that her interests go way beyond that. She's written an entire published an entire report on something she calls gendered and sexualized disinformation, exciting at length the example of people saying that Kamala Harris's citizenship status is uh, in question. Uh, be that as it may, uh, that has nothing to do with foreign propaganda. And uh, it's pretty clear that this disinformation board is would be used to <clears throat> marginalize people with whom they disagree with inside this country. And uh, whose idea was to name it the disinformation <laughs> governance board? You can only begin to guess, but uh, it should be shut down right, right now. And this jank was sent back to singing her Mary Poppins uh, imitations on it, TikTok. Dan, isn't it unbelievable that this administration would put someone forward with this background? Knowing you just check your social media accounts to see how embarrassing this would be. And now we see Nina Jankowitz. We look back at her tweets. She's like to the left of Rachel Maddow. She writes, my husband texted me. We have news to wake up to. Never thought it would be this. Confirms our worst fears about Trump. I'm horrified. He came in response to Hillary about his links to the Alpha Camp. Says uh, he used to communicate privately with a Putin-tied Russian bank, the Alpha Bank. That was her. Nina tweets out, Trump's uh, Kremlin ties don't end at Manafort. This is serious, people. So she's putting out disinformation, and now she's going to be in charge of finding disinformation. Well, you know what, Brian? It's not a mistake. I think they know what they're doing. They're putting these uh, left-wing individuals in charge of offices like this with the clear intention that they will run them uh, to the progressive left. Uh, the journal has an editorial uh, currently in the paper about the nomination to the Federal Communications Commission of a woman named Nina Sohn, who has done the same thing on Twitter, is clearly a woman of the left. And she's going to be uh, asked to be put in charge of the country's telecommunications system. The administration is salting the government with as many progressives as it can in the hope and expectation that they will move bureaucratic policy as far left as they can while they're in power. <clears throat> and on the looks of it, it's not going to be for too long. What about this new press secretary, Karine uh, uh, Jean-Pierre? What about her track record of saying that the 2018 governor election in Georgia was, uh, uh, was stolen by Brian Kemp? She's on record saying that, and she's tweeted that out. I mean, uh, she has questioned the integrity of elections. I thought you're not supposed to do that. Here's what she tweeted. Stolen email, stolen drone, stolen election. Welcome to the world of President Trump. Wow, fantastic. So she's a left-wing zealot, too. If question, if Molly Hemingway writes adequately, if questioning the results of an election is a crime, pretty much the entire Democratic Party and the entire media complex would be in prison. Remember, they never accepted Trump won. Why are they pretending in 2020 when Trump questions it, it's hurting democracy? Why weren't they concerned back then? And do we have the right person as press secretary? Yeah, probably not. Uh, again, you know, this sort of brings to mind the idea that the, every, the people on the left are so upset at Elon Musk gaining ownership of Twitter and all your examples 
Brian, suggest why uh, Twitter is a progressive playground for these people. And on, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's positive that at least all of these individuals uh, are uh, showing their true colors on Twitter. On the other hand, if you expect in your uh, <clears throat> career to be given high-level positions in the U.S. government, uh, do you really want to be on Twitter uh, expressing yourself in such extraordinary and extreme ways as uh, these three individuals have done? Uh, I don't think so, but um, it makes clear how highly, highly politicized and partisan uh, the Democrats have become in their attitude towards government. And, uh, you know, the battle going on right now over the Supreme Court uh, it, and with Democratic senators participating in it, Jen Psaki finding it difficult to bring herself to condemn last week, to condemn uh, the prospect of violent demonstrations against Supreme Court justices, it all adds up to the most progressive uh, presidency and government this country has ever seen. Well, uh, just so many topics, Dan, I could hit you with going, over, going into that, but we're up against the clock. Dan Henniger, Wall Street Journal Deputy Editor, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Pick up his or, chat, uh, or download his column, Disinformation Governor's Board needs to, be dis, uh, needs to be disbanded. You basically say pull the plug on the Disinformation Government Board. Dan, thanks so much. Great to be with you, Brian. All right. And you, the subtitle, Biden and Mallorca should fire Mary Poppins. No kidding. one 408 President gets his lowest numbers on inflation, and the thing that matters most to more Americans is inflation. Is that disqualifying? We'll discuss it when we come back on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We're certainly not suggesting anyone break any laws. I would note that the president's view has long been, and I tweeted this earlier this morning, and repeated and made a number of these comments last week as well, that uh, violence, threats, and, and intimidation have no place in political discourse. Yes, but that's not nearly firm enough to let anyone think that the administration's upset that yesterday there were hundreds of people outside Sam Alito's house. That is not good enough to let everybody know how it's not right to go in front of Kavanaugh's house over the weekend and John Roberts. Because what it does, and these lawyers will tell you, you could look at this law here and you could see that intimidating judges, because there's a decision that has to be made or will be made or was made, is against the law. Of course you can protest. But what kind of, can you use some logic and civility, please? I don't want people outside Jen Psaki's house. 
I don't want people outside the uh, Secretary of Defense Austin's house. Maybe you don't like his comments about Ukraine. I just don't think you should be able to, uh, out in front of Mayorkas' house, even though I think he's by far the worst government official that I have witnessed. It's just that you go to his office. You, there is ways to do it. You let your the heart be known. But the guy's got – and the women have families. You don't disrupt somebody's family life because you don't like they, what they do at work. I mean, it's different if you have a terrorist living in your neighborhood. But you just have a HHS secretary or a press secretary or a Supreme Court justice who you probably don't agree with. That's what's wrong. And that, and that to me, there's also a logic to it. When you're out there and you're uh, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg – Ruth sent me uh, people are out there protesting and screaming at you because you want to have the right to have an abortion and screaming at your family. And now Sam Alito's family, according to Axios, had to jettison from that house because everybody knew they were going to be protested on Monday. Really? So when you're a Supreme Court justice, you have a lot of perks. You don't have a lot of money. It's a lifetime appointment. You certainly don't have a, a big profile that you were a big public profile. So you do it because you reach the top of your profession, nominated by a party, by a political a politician. But who would want to do it? Let me ask you something. Just we're all laymen here, except for the lawyers in, in my audience. Here's this U.S. Code 1507. Whoever, with the intent of interfering with, obstructing, or impeding the administration of justice, or with the intent of influence any judge, juror, or witness, or court officer in the discharge of duty, pickets or parades, or near a building housing a court of the United States or in a neary building of residence occupied or used by a judge, juror, witness, a court officer is prohibited. I mean, it seems to me there's not a gray area there. That seems to be pretty clear. And I just think everyone should get a hold of themselves and understand you might not like the decision that could or could not be coming down in July, but I think everyone's got to take a step back. Let's protest around Sam Alito. By the way, you're not going to change anything. That's pretty clear. So this group, uh, people behind Ruth sent us, is this guy, Sam Spiegel, according to the domain registered with his website, whatever that is. He is behind Maxine Waters coming out and saying, you got to go harass Trump supporters, give them no peace, no sleep. Uh, Sam Spiegel wrote, lies and cruelty are not political opinions. If you support Trump today, you are a Nazi. You should be run out of polite society. Also, if you're a Trump supporter, I will call BS on your claim of Democratic best friends. Sam Spiegel also wrote, when they go low, we go high. When they go Nazi, we refuse service. While children are eating and sleeping in jail, everyone who supports this regime deserves to be ambushed. Okay. Uh, Absolutely out of their minds that Trump put people in jail. Uh, Absolutely out of their minds that this is the same statement. So that whole Ruth sent us, that's the person that backs it. That's the brainchild. So when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. What about that story? Uh, about uh, what about that story about using COVID funds in Texas uh, for border security? I say absolutely. Why not? Uh, we'll talk about that as well as the fight in Ukraine and what he got from the pre- President Putin's remarks on Monday, May 9th. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Clearly, it started as as a strategic failure, which is what I've been saying publicly. He has managed to 
have more NATO troops move into uh, NATO countries. He's unified Ukraine against him, pushed him more in our orbit, and he's unified the West. So where this ends up at this point, after the first phase clearly failed, I think is he will try to consolidate his gains in the Donbass. That means expand his footprint in uh, Donetsk and Luhansk. And will he try and kind of sweep the southern coast and, and, and link up with uh, Transnistria, we don't know. I don't think he can do that because right now he doesn't seem to be consolidating his gains. Just bombing Odessa, you know, uh, still torturing people in Mariupol, taking over Kyrgyzstan, putting up his own street signs, putting his own mayor into Mariupol as well as Kyrgyzstan. And he's able just to send once a week into Lviv, uh, uh, to Lviv, which is pretty close to the Polish border. But right now, you got if you're inside Russia, you have to be in panic mode because there's a big push to get off your oil and gas, uh, oligarchs being suffocated, uh, losing billions of dollars, as well as having almost no success on the battlefield when you fight against Ukrainian forces. With me right now, a guy who's no stranger to the battlefield, spent decades in uniform, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, now the American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director. Colonel, welcome back. What do you, what do you think mm-hmm. about uh, the Russia's predicament right now in light of the May 9th speech that didn't have any harsh rhetoric or promise of nuclear attack. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Brian. And I think what you see is reality is striking Vladimir Putin straight into the face. And when many people looked at his uh, speech that he gave yesterday, there really was no oomph to it. And I think that without a doubt, he cannot continue to sell this propaganda to the people there in Russia. But when you talk about consolidating his gains, it's a lot easier for him to try to consolidate something in eastern Ukraine because yeah. that, you know, he has shorter supply lines. But to try to make sure that he has the connection along the southern coast of Ukraine, that's going to be extremely difficult for him. And I believe that. You know, for him not being able to reach those objectives, and first and foremost, the collapse of Ukraine and uh, a president that he thought would flee. Uh, instead, he has stood there. He has fought. And as you articulated, he has rallied the people. So it's going to be very hard for him to maintain control along the, the southern coastline. And I think that he's going to, you know, eventually get pushed out of the eastern areas as NATO and some of these other countries step up and provide the support to Ukraine. Now, uh, I know you don't do the diplomacy thing, but you don't. But you know how wars end. Sometimes people mm-hmm. say you got to give people a way out. Uh, to get it to if your goal is to stop the killing. So if you're Ukraine now, complete victory is pushing them out even of Crimea, uh, That yeah. if you feel you could do it. But if you feel as though you might not be able to do that, and it's our billions of dollars that's providing that, what is the off-ramp for Vladimir Putin? Is there one provided? I think it's really hard to, to do that because, again, you're rewarding bad behavior. And so you go back to the weakness of the Obama-Biden administration. That's when uh, he came in and took uh, Crimea. And so I'm quite sure that that success uh, somewhat gave him the belief that he could come in and, and take the entire rest of the country. So right now, I think that we have a great opportunity, as you and I have discussed previously, is to undermine Putin's power and control in Russia by, you know, playing the hardball and not allow him to have any off-ramp or any concessions. I don't think that he is in the position to be talking about leveraging chemical weapons or nuclear weapons. None of those things are to his benefit. I think that's a, a, a shadow threat that he is trying to throw out there. But this is an opportunity to not just send a message to Vladimir Putin, but the real message to be sent is to China and Xi Jinping. 
So uh, Russian forces have failed to establish air superiority over Ukraine, have blown through many of their precision-guided weapons, that according to Pentagon officials. Uh, and we also understand that the Ukrainians' military uh, in their counteroffenses in Kharkiv are getting close to pushing Russia back to across their border. But the big th- yeah. the fear is, the big hope is to stop Odessa. I mean, they're bombing Odessa regularly. You can't, they can't use that port. They can't get the grain out. Africa desperately needs this grain. They need to export mm-hmm. to get some money. So at some point, Ukraine, with almost no navy, is going to need some help. Do we just let this thing play out, or do we let other nations starve and, and this uh, wheat just uh, wither? Well, this is what needs to happen. There's a difference between air superiority and air dominance. We need to help Ukraine to have air dominance, because if they have aerial dominance, you're not going to see the bombing continue uh, from the air and definitely from ground uh, artillery surface-to-surface systems, because therefore you can you know, use your aircraft to go in and take those systems out. And so I think that should be the push right now, is to make sure that Ukraine can have aerial dominance, and that precludes the ability of Russia to be able to have standoff uh, attack means, being it uh, air to surface or surface to surface. But you're right. You're you're looking at a larger uh, issue that's being created when when you don't have the food being able to be shipped out, uh, and that affects the economy not just of Ukraine, but it also yeah. affects the people, like you say, in Africa and other places that are dependent upon that grain. So this really has become a world issue, a global issue. So. Uh, Colonel, we were able to get contact with one of the officers who's now in the catacombs of that steel plant in Mariupol holding on. Mm -hmm. Evidently, we got reports there are still civilians with them, and these guys are going to fight to the death. This was May 6th. He recorded something, and he he does not speak English. We had to get the translation. It's Captain Bogdan Kratovich. He started fighting. He joined the military out of nowhere after the invasion in 2014, and he's been fighting the Russians ever since. This is what he says he's finding out when he encounters the Russians. Sometimes they get captured. Sometimes they give themselves up. Cut 38. We have lots of interceptions when commanders would tell their seniors that soldiers don't want to fight. Then seniors would give the permission to kill those who were unwilling in order to motivate the others to be cannon fodder. To the question of why they came to Ukrainian land, Russians just say, of course, that they didn't know where they were going, why this war is happening, the power that should change in Russia, etc. We still have several war prisoners who we offer to trade, but the Russian Federation isn't interested in trading for them. So you're fighting an army that doesn't want to fight. I mean, we're hearing this over and over again, and that was just recorded and handed out to us May 6th. He's not one to give propaganda. I think if anyone's telling the truth, it's him. So... This is very this is is this could be why we're giving thirty nine billion dollars to them and then we're uh, efforting another uh, millions more. Do you think there's some intelligence out there judging by our actions that's saying that Russia is about to collapse? Well, this reminds me of that opening scene from the movie Enemy at the Gates when they were forcing those uh, young Russian recruits uh, to charge against the uh, the Germans. And then, of course, when they tried to retreat back, the Soviets shot them as well. 
So that morale issue is a huge issue. And yes, I think that we believe, I uh, think that we do have intelligence on the ground that lets us know that the, many of these units uh, are combat ineffective. And that's why you see Russia just resorting to the bombing and the shelling and not any real infantry right. or on the ground assaults. So I think that we have that window of opportunity to take advantage. And if we can get the aerial dominance, that will turn the tide. So, uh, Colonel, I don't know if you got the report that Democrats, Texas Democrats, are demanding an investigation to find out if Governor Abbott is using funds that are supposed to be for COVID on his Border Patrol, uh, on his um, uh, the Texas Rangers and the Texas National Guard to pay for that. I have no problem with that if that's the case, even though it might be illegal, because what they've done to you guys by leaving that border naked, allowing the surge to come through is criminal. So where do you stand with this? What could you tell me? Well, I can tell you this is one of the things we should be looking at is all of the uh, tax receipts that we have to send to the federal government. We should stop doing that because they're not doing their job in protecting the border here, 1,254 miles. So if the federal government has abdicated one of their constitutional duties and responsibilities, then whatever funding that is coming here, uh, it should be used to make sure that we're protecting Texas. Texas cannot continue to be the number one state in America for human and sex trafficking and as well as the drug trafficking crisis that we're facing. If the federal government does not want to do their duties and responsibilities, then we should be using the resources that we have coming from them for whatever is necessary to protect ourselves. How do you feel about what uh, Rick Scott put out? Um, You might not have read it, but he put out and said, listen, I think everyone should be paying something into the tax, to say pay some type of tax. I don't care how much you're making, whether it's a dollar or a hundred thousand. And Mitch McConnell says, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, I don't want to put out a plan that's going to be uh, be able to be targeted by Democrats. Let's just let their track record serve itself. Well, Rick Scott did it anyway. And now the administration is saying that that is the plan of the party. And he says that the, the, that's what Republicans want to do. They want to raise your taxes, um, even though The Washington Post said that that is uh, that not factually accurate. Cut six is Jen Psaki. Mitch McConnell and, and this um, this report, there aren't any other Republicans signing on to this at this point. So is it fair to say that Republicans as a whole are pushing? He's the, the chairman of the committee. If Republicans want to repudiate his plan, they should go do that. But otherwise, that continues to be what they're running on. So that, that's their position, not ours. And that's what the president's going to mention at 1130 today. He's calling it the ultra MAGA movement. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Well, first and foremost, for them to say that the people that support American first policies are the policies that had us with a strong economy, a strong uh, energy security background, able to produce, consume, and export our energy resources are, you know, the most extreme political uh, organization that this country has ever seen. Obviously, the president is not paying attention to the Ku Klux Klan nor Antifa. Uh, what you look at the policies of Joe Biden, that's a tax increase on all Americans. The inflation, look at the gas prices, look at the food prices, the fact that right now you have mothers that cannot go out and find a baby formula. So he's the one that is causing an extreme economic crisis for the American people and a hidden taxation because that's exactly what inflation is. But without a doubt, we cannot go forward in the United States of America where you are telling a, a percentage of the population that you're going to pay for all of our ideological agendas so that we can give free benefits, you know, relieve college student loans and all of these other things to everyone else. And so I understand the, you know, 10%, 15%, you know, whatever, 
uh, 10% of a dollar is a dime. And so if you're telling me that no one in the United States of America should be asked to be a participant in this country and making sure that you, we are, uh, you know, have a federal government that is operating within their constitutional responsibilities and you don't want to be a part of that, then how can you then in turn say that these other people are going to pay for you to have all of these free benefits? Look at, uh, you know, telling people we're going to pay you to stay home and not work. That's that's enslavement. That's economic enslavement. But that's what the Democrats want. And that's what Joe Biden wants. So I want you to hear Rick Scott defend himself. Uh, I'm sure this is going to come up in about an hour today. Let's listen. You know, yep. He attacked me the other day, and he, you know, he says I want to raise taxes. When here's a guy that when he got elected to the Senate, since when he got elected to the Senate, think of what's happened. Taxes have skyrocketed in this country. I don't think there's a tax he hasn't increased. On uh, number two is the debt's gone from less than a trillion to thirty trillion. He's taking to forty-five, and he wants that. He's confused and says I'm reducing the deficit. No, no, he said Joe Biden is reducing the deficit. No, 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 he's not. He's raising taxes. He's increasing the deficit. He's confused about everything. So uh, we'll see. I mean, you got to check out his plan, I guess. He just wanted everyone to take mm-hmm. stock. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's easily – in politics, you got to watch yourself because, as you know better than anybody, you ran for office multiple times. Everything you say could be taken out of context and then be used against you. So do you think that and he was wrong nature. to bring that out? No, it's not wrong to bring it out. and It's the nature of the left. They're always going to take whatever you say and spin it. So we can continue to sit back, the Republicans, and, and just be reactive and, and always play defense and operate in a sense of fear of the other side. Or you can go on offense. And I think it's time for us to go on offense, especially when you see the intolerance that is coming from the progressive socialist left in this country right now. We've got to stand up for something or else we'll fall for this. Right. Uh, so right now you're seeing protests outside Sam Alito's house over Kavanaugh's over the weekend, mm-hmm. over John Roberts over the weekend. Light condemnation, but just you're allowed to protest just to have no violence is what they're saying. Uh, here's what Sonny Halston said about what's going on now with these home, with people being protested at their homes. Cut 15. And She's while, from The View. And while I think it is terrible that um, a justice would have to go into hiding, I think it is really clear to the justices now that, as Anna mentioned, 64 to 66 percent of Americans believe that the Supreme Court should uphold Roe v. Wade. Maybe these protests and maybe this outcry gives Chief Justice Roberts some leverage for a more moderate mm-hmm. approach. What we're hearing from, um, you know, Republicans, that people don't have a right to protest. Well, women have a right to privacy as well. That's and women have a right about. to privacy yeah. with their bodies. How do you feel about this argument? Well, I don't understand. Women have a right to privacy. I mean, we're not talking about privacy. We're talking about murdering unborn babies by the means of dismemberment. If you're a member of the United States military and you go out and you dismember an enemy's body on the battlefield, you're going to Fort Leavenworth Prison. But what we're talking about now is they're fighting for that to happen inside the womb. Uh, And this is not an end to Roe v. Wade. This will go back under the Tenth Amendment to the states, and the states can make those decisions. That's how you operate in a constitutional republic. That's how you operate within the rule of law. But what, again, this shows is that you have people, number one, that don't understand uh, basic civics. They don't understand that a Supreme Court decision uh, is not law, and it can be overturned when further examined against the Constitution. That's called judicial review at Marbury versus uh, 
Uh, Madison, I believe, was the case that established that back in the 1800s. So I don't, I don't understand the position that they're taking. And, right. and this sense of intimidation, if they believe that you should drive Supreme Court justices away from their homes into hiding, and, and that's how you petition your government for redress of grievances, then we are heading down the wrong path in this country, and, no and the mobocracy will take over. Gotcha. Uh, Colonel, we covered a lot of ground. Thanks so much. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Take care, Brian. All right. Go get him. Uh, we come back. Your turn. one 408 And hear about the comedian that made a statement that many people are not laughing at. Maybe you will think it's funny. We'll play it. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Here's my feeling about the leaker. I I would like to find out who the leaker is so I can make sweet love to that person. Because that person is a hero (laughs) to me. Okay? And if the leaker, a lot of people are saying it could be a conservative. If the leaker is a Republican, uh, and if I get pregnant during our lovemaking, I will joyfully abort our fetus. And let them know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's the hysterical comedian Lori Kilmartin on MSNBC, where she obviously had a receptive audience. I'm not too sure America's ready for that. You tell me. one 866 Let's go uh, to – I want you to hear some more talk about this. And one thing is pretty clear. Uh, the Roe v. Wade thing is going to – I think it's going to mobilize Democrats. And the question is will it mobilize Republicans even more who are obviously more motivated? These midterms couldn't come quick enough because they are anxious to get back in power, get some answers to some uh, probing questions, and stop this uh, free fall with our economy. Uh, America's battling back from it despite the headwinds in these policies. But that was uh, Lori Kilmartin coming out. Here is uh, Senator Ted Cruz looking at examples like that saying that, well, I don't have time to get to it. Looking at examples like that and saying that's how, how extreme the party's become. Because instead of just saying, hey, they want Roe v. Wade to end abortion or, or to put it at 15, 16 weeks, they're saying, going to get rid of interracial marriage, going to get rid of same-sex marriage. You cannot extrapolate that. But the president's not helping either. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world, and hopefully in the Ukraine. I'll do a simulcast on FBN with Stuart Varney in about 45 minutes. Larry Kudlow standing by, just getting out of the shower. He's got the number one show in all of uh, business television. So we'll be talking to him in a matter of moments, fresh off his years with uh, President Trump prior to that, CNBC, and prior to that, Ronald Reagan administration. I think that's a very good resume. If I gave that to Indeed, he would definitely be able to get a job just about anywhere. But I'm not going to give up his resume. He's full-time here. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The New York Post has also reported something that's pretty significant. Joe Biden made $11 million the first year that he was out of the White House in 11 months. That's a lot of money to make for somebody that has never had any business relationships at all. This is crying out for an investigation. 
Uh, maybe. Uh, certainly intriguing. Hunter and Steele. Stunning detailed breakdown of the fictional but impactful Steele dossier. It's in the Wall Street Journal today. It's about 10 pages. It's worth every word to read. And it gets you so in- enraged. Latest on Hunter Biden and his sugar bro finances of his life. This guy, this lawyer, paid $2 million of his legal fees and now doing a documentary on him while putting him up in a lush, lush, lavish lifestyle in Malibu. We'll bring you the latest. Number two. I would like to find out who the leaker is so I could make sweet love to that person. That person is a hero <laughs> to me. If the leaker is a Republican uh, and if I get pregnant during our lovemaking, I will joyfully abort our fetus. <laughs> Yeah, it was funny on MSNBC and to Lori Kilmartin, who said the joke, not to almost everybody else. Emotions boiling over with the imminent overturn of Roe v. Wade, with a focus on the Supreme Court justices' homes and churches. No joke. Sadly, the worst is yet to come. Number one. Two-thirds to even 70 percent of inflation data is a result of energy prices. A, a large part of that is the result of President Putin's invasion of Ukraine and the impact on the global energy markets. Really? Is that true? I'm going to ask Larry Kudlow about that and why to solve that problem would you just blame Republicans and look for a green first strategy? Joining me right now is Larry Kudlow. Uh, Larry, welcome back. Brian, I haven't taken a shower yet. I just do Varney before I shower. <laughs> you, okay, I did not know that. I, thanks for that information. Yeah. I broke news there. Every Tuesday morning. <laughs> wow. 4 p.m. We see your show today. So the president's going to be speaking in about 90 minutes, and he's going to talk about how to turn this country around. And he's going to blame the ultra MAGA movement for a lot of his problems. And a lot of the brill, he's going to uh, blame a lot of the energy issues on the oil and gas sector who are not using their permits. Is that a successful strategy? No, it's not. I mean, I'm looking at the fact sheet for the speech, and it's really just more of the same. It's more spending. Uh, more blaming. He's blaming Biden. He's blaming Republicans. No, there's no real change. You know, it's too bad. The guy has opportunities to kind of reset. I mean, for example, his um, permitting policies, his NEPA permitting problem, national environment policy, you know, they've they've tied the hands of all fracking and um, all drilling and all pipelining. But here's the other thing that's so interesting to me. These new regs, which overturn uh, Donald Trump's uh, two-year permitting limit, these new regs will stop bridges, roads, and highways, the infrastructure bill. And these new regs will stop, this is so ironic, they'll stop the greenies because they're going to stop solar and wind energy, and they're also going to stop mining for resources for, you know, electric batteries for electric vehicles. I don't think people have really focused on this. I mean, I've tried to talk about it. We'll continue to do so. But this is a, such a draconian policy, and nothing in this fact sheet suggests any of that's going to change. So overregulation is a killer, Brian. It's just a killer, and it will cause supply-side inflation. Demand side, you know, the guy still wants to spend all this money. I know, and they're still trying to work Joe Manchin to do the, just that. Inflation in America, gasoline up 48% year to year, used cars up 35%, airline fares 23 furniture and bedding 15 food and food supplies 10%. Uh, they are up on the average. For diesel, as you know, that means trucks, which means deliveries, which mm-hmm. means everything, food and supplies, um, is up to $5.54 
and they say that's the highest on record meat inflation. Beef and uh, veal up 16 percent, pork 15 percent, chicken 13 percent. So what he wants to do uh, is uh, is tell everyone he's on it. I'm doing everything I can, but you don't believe that. Well, I just don't see anything here that would deal with that. You know, uh, Madam Saki said this morning, I guess, that a year ago, no one could foresee this inflation, and it's all Vladimir Putin's fault. Well, first of all, a year ago, um, a bunch of Democrat economists saw the inflation. You know, guys like honest guys like Larry Summers or Jason Furman, a bunch of Republicans. Steve Ratner. Uh, yeah, Steve Ratner. I put him in there. I mean, and then um, Republican side, uh, Laffer saw it, Forbes saw it, Kevin Hassan saw it, I saw it. Um, you just can't spend your way nowadays and then have the Federal Reserve all, go through all this money printing. So they're not going to change that. But the thing that astonishes me is he wants to spend more. Look, I haven't read this, you know, because I have your show at 10.06 and I've getting ready for that but i'm skimming it okay and he's blaming corporations he wants americans and these businesses to quote pay their share fair share in other words he's going to raise taxes which would lower production brian which means you'd have more money chasing fewer goods which means inflation will continue to go up so more spending and more taxing and more regulating, especially energy, but not only energy, that is a prescription for more inflation. Look, here's the thought. Blame Putin, right? Blah, blah, blah. Take energy out. Take it out of the index. I mean, I don't want to because people have gasoline. By the way, gasoline's a record price today, $4.37. But take energy out, all right? You would still have a 6.5% inflection rate, all right? That was less than two over a year ago. The Fed's target is to. So how can you blame Putin for inflation when if you took out the whole energy sector, which Biden has destroyed with his jihad against fossil fuels, take it out. You're still up with six and a half percent inflation, which is three times the Fed's target. So I ask you, how's he going to sell that? He's going to get he's already gotten four or five Pinocchios from The Washington Post, even CNN, for trying to blame uh, Rick Scott's tax reform ideas. I mean, it's just a complete non-starter. It's not even Republican policy. We don't even, Rick hasn't even fleshed it out yet. Right. So I, a couple of, yeah, listen to it. Listen to what Janet Yellen said. She should know better unless she really thinks this. Yeltsin's going to yeah. testify today in front of the Senate Banking Committee. You'll be watching that. And other top financial regulators wouldn't be surprised to see market turbulence keep up into the summer. Yellen is expected to detail efforts to make sure financial institutions understand climate-related financial risks. What's she talking about? Then voice support for, for Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan, which economists like yeah. you argue are skyrocketing prices. Um, so yeah. first off on Yellen, does, does she know that this is not the time to have the suffocating climate conditions on all this stuff? You know, she turns out to be a real climate radical. I mean, I don't know if she believes this stuff. We never heard about this from her when she was running the Federal Reserve or before in her career, this idea that we're in some sort of existential climate risk. It's just utter nonsense. There is no climate emergency. None. Nada. Now, over the next hundred years, if you want to gradually transition uh, towards renewables, which I think speaks to nuclear power more than any of the others, fine. 
but do it, you know, with an alternative plan, which they do not have. What Yellen is getting at, incidentally, you might ask yourself, why is the Treasury Secretary opining on climate change? Of course, that's what the White House says. Because they're saying don't, banks should not make loans to fossil fuel companies because those loans will be so risky because we all know that fossil fuels will be extinct in five to 10 years. That's the subliminal message. And it's driving people in the energy patch and then, you know, up in the Dakotas and then Pennsylvania, it's driving them crazy. They can't get bank loans. So now Biden says, we're going to expand energy production, but he's got NEPA regulations that won't let him do it. And now he wants bank regulations that won't finance it. It's just crazy. What, uh, what is your take uh, on some of this? I mean, you see what's going on with the stock market over the last few days. Every major winner over the last few years is now a loser from Facebook to Google, uh, even though we're up about 300 points now. Uh, what, is your, what is your read on what's happened to the market over the last two weeks? You know, the market is, I think, basically in a bear market correction, which I might add precedes recessions. Uh, how far it's going to go, I don't know. The tech sector, you know, the big growth-sensitive tech sector has been clobbered, Brian. And that's a bad sign because tech is the, you know, the heartbeat of America. Sure. So that's, that's sending a message that the economy has gone down. My take is, first of all, for your listeners, uh, if you own 401Ks, you own your IRA, you own index funds, which is the best way, don't do it. Don't panic. Okay. Don't panic. And if anything, they should add savings as the market goes down. Because in the long run, stocks are the best investment. They're the best asset class to invest in. You can't outguess day to day. Very important. And you should stay calm. I know people, you know, they get their statements and they said, oh my God, I'm down five grand, 10 grand, 20 grand. Don't look at it. Don't look at the market. I know. You're going to have a bear. It's a bear market correction, all right? They happen. They're bad. Nobody likes them. Um, in this case, I think uh, bad policies have a lot to do with it. But my point is don't panic. You just really don't don't sell into a bear market. I mean, that's the worst thing of all. All right. So I got to ask you, too, for on, the, on the Bitcoin, on the cryptocurrency, uh, they say 40% of Bitcoin, Bitcoin investors are underwater. Uh, is, is crypto a fad that's falling for good or for, for now? For now, for now, it's getting hit. I mean, I, I, I follow Bitcoin a bit. I think it's down around 30,000 or something, um, whatever the high was, 50, 55,000. So it's, it's also in a bear market because financial conditions are tightening as interest rates go up. That's bad for stocks. It's also bad for, for Bitcoin. But, Brian, um, I think these um, cryptocurrencies are here to stay. Uh, and basically, when you buy them, invest in them, you got to have your eyes open. But I think they're a legitimate form of commerce. They're a legitimate form of monetary transactions. And they'll only get better and bigger as the blockchain technology improves. So I think, you know, people who write it off are wrong. People who oppose Bitcoin, just another asset class. And look, at, as you may know, um, stores, you know, retail stores and banks and car dealers and stuff, everybody's beginning to take cryptocurrencies as payment. So it's here to stay. 
couple of things, Larry. I'm going to be whether you, I don't know if you've signed off on it or not, but I'm scheduled to do your show tomorrow unless you're going to push yeah. back on that. Are you kidding? Never. Okay. Never. You make the show. You make the opening of the show. Are you kidding me? I know. I'm usually in the A block. Said, I can't believe it. Well, you know, um, Saki says that 70% of the inflation is due to Vladimir Putin. I'm going to say that at least 85% of my ratings are due to Brian Kilmeade. I like to see the math with that. And, <laughs> and you know, if it does add up, I will fully support it. Uh, minute by minute from Stephanie Freeman. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's find out. Uh, Larry, thanks so much. I appreciate you talking to me without showering. Not many people have the guts to admit that, but we got off to a great start and we stayed with it. Larry Kudlow, watch him tonight Thanks, at four. Great. one 408 When we come back, I'll take your calls. Uh, and then, actually, I have two blocks to take your calls. I also want to uh, get into a, a little bit, the best I can, about what's going on with the Steele dossier. The breakdown of the Wall Street Journal is so amazing. What has taken place and how we were all duped from the biggest Trump supporter to the biggest Trump detractor. I don't care where you stand. You should read this article and feel so used right now and abused and disappointed in the FBI, CIA, uh, and all these investigative agencies. And I'll break it down the best I can. But you really should read it. But I'll do it when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian gets the biggest newsmakers. William Barr, my guest, and ask them the hardest-hitting questions. Did you ever watch Steve Martin in The Jerk? No. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Just between you and me. (laughs) If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's not with amazement you see how far that they've come from Kennedy's Democrat Party. This is not your grandfather's Democrat Party anymore. So much for the marketplace of ideas, they have decided that they're going to determine what disinformation is. But my point to Mayorkas was this. We had a $32 million Mueller investigation to see if there was collusion between Russia and Trump. There wasn't any. And yet the Steele dossier upon which they base this all on, which was given to Steele by Russians, it was Russian disinformation. If they can't admit that that's disinformation, it was propagated by CNN for years and years. If they can't admit that, how could they possibly do the job of policing disinformation? Now, I don't think it's a job that you could possibly do. It isn't because there's so much trajectory. Uh, I don't think masks work. I think masks do work. Uh, This vaccine might not be that effective, stuff that only time will tell. But when it comes to what happened with the Trump years with Russia, it is a total hoax. Now, you think it's an oversimplification, but if people point back to the dossier and they think about what the dossier led to, nationwide uproar around this, Republicans to desert President Trump for two years, president couldn't even get a meeting with a, a productive meeting with Vladimir Putin without people saying he was uh, corroborating with him uh, at the detriment of our own country. So the Wall Street Journal looked at the Steele dossier and they just said, once and for all, where the hell did this come from? And what it came from is... It's amazing. The people that provided the information to Christopher Steele, for the most part, did not know that their information was being used verbatim to Christopher Steele. They got this guy, Igor Detyshenko, who's been indicted for lying to the FBI, and Charles Dolan Jr., a publicist, longtime Clintonite, who has his longtime Russian ties that date back to the Yeltsin days in Russia. So he is working with Christopher Steele in order to for Christopher Steele and providing some information about what's going on with Russia and possible ties with with Trump. 
Some of their conversation over beers and drinks ends up going into this dossier unverified. And Igor Dushenko says, wait a second. How come I'm reading? And Charles Dolan says, wait, I'm reading this dossier. A lot of this stuff is stuff you gave me that I gave you that came up in conversation that was flat out hearsay that Christopher Steele, you put into a dossier that is now published on BuzzFeed and is in the desk of the FBI, handed to John McCain, who handed it back to the FBI. And then, of course, of course, it gets published. Charles Dolan on the dossier said the first time it hit, he said, Charles Dolan. Longtime Clintonite said, I want this exposed as fake news. They found that all of this stuff originated with just a few people, the Wall Street Journal did, gossiping after they had come together over a minor corporate publicity contract. Minor. Steele relied on Washington researchers to gather information that, according to the FBI notes, about his researcher. This guy, Doshenko, panicked and didn't tell the FBI the truth. And the truth is that there was nothing there. And that whole... X-rated part of this dossier with the hookers and all that stuff. That was hearsay picked up when Dolan was touring to a hotel. Unverified. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is calling and demanding an investigation, guys. And let's just think for a moment how this would be covered by the media. If Donald Trump Jr. had been several million dollars in debt and some random big shot lawyer who undoubtedly is connected to Democrat politicians had suddenly cut a check to pay over $2 million in back taxes, was allowing him to live a lavish lifestyle in Malibu outside of L.A., And there were no questions whatsoever being asked about it. And uh, Clay Travis is a great point. And that's what happened. Uh, In case you don't know, he had a $2 million tax bill paid off. This big time uh, lawyer, this entertainment lawyer who helps uh, launch South Park and some other things, uh, he's got a a billionaire probably. And he decides that he's going to put up and do a documentary on Hunter Biden. And he's going to live a lavish lifestyle in Malibu. And what Clay has brought up and which is now published, that the vice president, then the former vice president, now president, Joe Biden, made $11 million the first year he was out of office. So this thing is wide open. Fun thing, what we know about Hunter, what we know that's on that laptop, what we know about his business, what we know that Joe knows about his business, we all know it. Even CNN knows it. They all, MSNBC knows it. ABC knows it. New York Times knows it. They're going to look the other way because they don't like Donald Trump. And now, why would you run for office? I mean, you're 78 years old. No one's going to go after Hunter Biden, who a former vice president, longtime senator of Delaware. Why would you run for office? Do you realize your entire reputation is gradually being blown up? Not only is your performance terrible and the numbers don't lie, but Hunter Biden, his international deals that sacrificed American foreign policy. Think about this. The oligarchs that he dealt with are the only ones not sanctioned in this Russia-Ukraine war. Think about the China deal that he had done, the people that have disappeared around him, the things that are on that laptop that the New York Times and Washington Post say what we all knew, that the New York Post was right, that were 100% authentic, the worst is yet to come. Believe me, and it makes no sense. Dossier totally fake. Joe Biden's story was totally frozen. And they want to set up a disinformation board with the czar that believes the dossier was real, that Christopher Steele is great, that the Russian hoax was authentic. And that the uh, that everything Anthony Fauci says 
anybody contradicting it, uh, that is disinformation. All right, let's go to William listening on WTRC in South Bend. Hey, William. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Um, you know what? A couple of things. Number one, the drive-by media, as you were just saying, nobody's ever going to pick up any of these stories to any of the extent that it should be and really putting it out there that people understand the full story. And number two, who's going to be held responsible for this? It's the same old thing. It's it's like the, the definition of insanity. We do the same thing. We find this stuff out. We expose it. And then nobody gets – there's nobody that's paying the price for it. There's nobody that's going to have anything to do that they have to look for any type of well, results from what listen, they should be. William, I can't tell you. In my real world, like when I'm not on the, on television or behind the microphone – that's this is the most common thing people say to me. When are you going to pay the price for illegal behavior? But I will say this: if you read the story, and it just so people, you're passionate about this story. If you're listening to me, so just read the Wall Street Journal story. They don't spare details. This woman Olga Galinka, she is a longtime sycophant of Hillary Clinton. She's got a book that's signed to it to a great Democrat. She's combining with Dushenko, who is now indicted for lying to the FBI. Charles Dolan Jr. As of this moment is not being indicted, but a longtime Clinton ties. And then Christopher Steele is defamed and defrocked forever. You know, he's a British guy, so we're probably not going to be able to extradite him, nor do we probably have the, the goods on him. He was doing a job, but he was getting paid by the DNC. So what people should understand before they say a word about Trump and Kalu, you know, notice they never say Trump in Russia now anymore. You see all these stories. Though it scares me, William, that James Comey, and the FBI took the dossier at face value. They were excoriated by the Justice Department of Donald Trump saying, hey, FBI, why did you not run down any of these stories to see if there's any, anything that could be verified? Why did you just take it? Same thing with when they had Michael Sussman. Sussman walks in and says there's a link between Trump and this Russian bank called Alpha Bank. And they go, hey, thanks. Really? Thanks? Thanks. I'll take it and I'll look into it. Launch an investigation. Why? Because Sussman said he'd had no horse in this race. I just want to do something for the country. So how how pathetic is it that the FBI, to the degree they did, ran with this investigation and tried to, because they hated Trump and thought it was true, decide to destroy, uh, really hurt our country? And now a bunch of guys got fired there. I mean, uh, you see Andy McCabe got a job on, on, an, on a network as a contributor, but he's been fired and defamed. James Comey, don't tell me that he's not walking around. Um, he's not a hero on the left, believe me, and he's not a hero on the right. He got what he deserved, that, that egomaniac. So, Gary, listen on WNDB in Daytona, Florida. There is some hell to pay. Hey, Gary. Yes. Good morning. Just a couple uh, takes and get your comments on. I was watching uh, Janet Yellen. It was amazing. Uh, Senator from Pennsylvania uh, asked her uh, what's more, uh, extent, you know, what, what threat poses the most dangerous cyber uh, hacks and cybersecurity to our institutions in our country or climate change. And after about 30 seconds, he said that you're having trouble uh, answering. Let me answer for you. It is cyber uh, attacks. Uh, and she goes, you know, and she comes back. Both are, are very, very, uh, you know, dangerous to this. Does that just happen, so Gary? Yeah. Is that today? Yeah. Just today. Just oh. 20 minutes ago. And Sick the other me. question was, he asked her how many financial institutions, credit unions, uh, stock exchanges have collapsed because of climate change. And again, after 15 or 20 seconds, and she's having trouble, she's pondering, and he says, I'm going to help you out. 
None. None have failed. No stock exchange, no banks, community banks, major banks have failed over climate change. And I just, it, they're so incompetent, his, uh, the, the people he has. Uh, my, my, Gary, I, do you think she believes this stuff? Or is she just saying, if I sign on this job, I'm going to have to do with these left-wing yeah. principles? Do you think she actually believes it? I think she's being converted. Yeah, absolutely. She's being converted to believing that. I mean, you, you know, you hear it so much and someone tells you you have to read from the index card so often. The next thing, you know, you're, you're believing it. And I like to switch over to Antifa because I think we're just getting ready the next three or four months to watch them because the candidate running for governor in Oregon had at the same time when Biden was talking about MAGA uh, uh, supporters being the most dangerous in this country, they destroyed his campaign bus, fired paintballs at him in a rally and fireworks and not with, not one arrest, not one mention of, of, and if that would have been the other way around, a, a person running for governor, a Democratic governor candidate, it would have been at prime time. Uh, absolutely. But, you know, I'm almost giving up on, on Oregon and Washington. It's almost if they're hopeless. I mean, what they've done allowed their cities to, to, uh, to descend into. I, I, I met someone over the weekend. I was giving a speech in Tennessee. And I met some over the weekend, and, and they introduced themselves. Like, oh, you're from here? And he goes, no, we hope to be. And I said, why? We're in Oregon. And they were in their 20s. And I go, why are you leaving? He goes, it's chaos. It's Anything you see on TV, it is worse. And there is just a sense of lawlessness, and it's not going to get better. You'll see everyone leaving. So they destroy these cities, and they leave. I hope when they come, Gary, they don't try to bring their ethics uh, with them. I know you guys are experiencing that in Florida. Thanks so much for the call. You know, in about five minutes, uh, ten minutes, we're going to be joined ago. You'll see a simulcast on FBN. But i got to share this news. It's great news for the company. Uh, this just in in sports. Tom Brady agrees to join Fox Sports as lead NFL game analyst whenever his career ends. Fox CEO Lachlan Murdoch agreed to a long-term deal with Fox and will call games with Kevin Burkhart. Tom Brady t- Twitter excited, but a lot of unfinished business left on the field. How great is that? Another thing is, it's fantastic for Fox. Now, you have to wonder, they lose Troy Aikman. They didn't try for him when he came back with that. They didn't try to match it. And they lose Joe Buck, and Joe Buck's fantastic, and Troy Aikman's fantastic. And I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be something to this. Number one, I thought Fox's business model said we're not going to spend a lot of money on analysts, and if you're going to give someone a ridiculous amount of money, ESPN, you can do it. You can have him. Al Michaels was available. Before Al Michaels went to Amazon, evidently he put out fuels and said, does anybody else want me? And Amazon, and for the most part, Fox was radio silent. So he went and signed with Amazon. He's making a zillion dollars. Al Michaels is fantastic. And Kevin Burkhardt is a, is a guy that was from regional SNY, was awesome, was selling cars, went to SNY, did a great job. Fox says that he's got raw talent, and he's fantastic. But to go and get Tom Brady, I have a prediction that his best friend Jim Gray will be the sideline. And that'll be one of the best... Uh, broadcast teams ever because I I just I know it's harder uh, I know it's harder uh, you know you, we watched Tony Romo and everyone threw him a zillion dollars and loved him his first year um, the, as much as a great guy as Tony Romo is I didn't love him this year because they don't let him predict any plays anymore that's what he was great at and he sounds just more like a fan in the booth Tom Brady can break the game down like anyone else and I think he'll have a seamless transition like like John Madden did only he doesn't have to be that unbelievable personality. Uh, he's Tom Brady. Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm going to come back to a, uh, do a simulcast on FBN. Usually there's some time at the back end to squeeze in some calls. I see you out there. Don't move. 
Appreciate you listening. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, in a little while, I'll be able to get to those phone calls uh, right here at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but heard around the country and around the world. Uh, we'll be able to get to your phone calls at one 408 And I'm going to get to some emails, too. I know I was promised that, but people are writing me at briankilmeade.com. You click on comments. And we're able to get some people because a lot of you are at work. But we'll be discussing it right now. It looks like most people in New York are not coming to work. Believe it or not, not because of traffic, not because of COVID, but because of crime. And Mayor Garrick Adams is supposed to change that. If you look at the numbers, nothing has changed. And uh, if you also look at what he's done between him getting COVID, the subway bomber, uh, shooter. Well, let's listen. I'll finish up later. A big drop yesterday. The gentleman on the right-hand side of the screen is Brian Kilmeade, who joins me right now. Brian, I'm sure you heard this. Tom Brady is going to join Fox Sports as an analyst after his NFL career. That's good news for us, I'd say. Uh, I think it's one of the biggest stories in sports in quite a long time. Look at He's like, I'm not done yet, but when I am done, I'm going to Fox. And he's going to be with Kevin Burkhardt, a homegrown guy from SNY, used to be the Mets sideline guy or the audience guy. They run around and give people flavor of the game. Fox saw how talented he was. They bring him over. He's become their number one guy. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman left. And Fox didn't really, I don't, as far as I can understand, didn't try to outbid ESPN. And you wonder, maybe Fox's business plan said, we don't need to focus a lot on the broadcast. We have to pay the broadcast a lot. The game will sell itself. But instead, maybe they were keeping their money for uh, Tom Brady. Uh, so he teams with Kevin Burkhardt. And what about G- our own Jim Gray being sidelined, who's the best yeah. in the business? And yep. they are best friends. They do a podcast on Monday. So the good news is a lot of people worry when they retire they're going to have enough money. Tom Brady no longer has to worry about that. He'll have right. enough money once he retires to live comfortably. Do, do you know his politics? I don't know what Tom well, Brady's friend, politics. I, I know he, I he got backlash. On the conservative side, right? Well, um, you know what? I, I know he got backlash because he says I'm friends with Donald Trump. And, yep. you know, they golf together. They've golfed together in the past, and they've been kind to each other. But yep. Tom Brady got big pushback because I don't think his wife is uh, big into Donald Trump. And that's the problem with marrying Brazilian supermodels, which is why I stayed with <laughs> what, the, the woman I met in high school. Whatever you say, Brian. I right. don't know how you got onto that one. That was a brilliant segue, I've got to say. You, can, you can't uh, teach it. Nice note to your wife. <laughs> yes. Tucked into a story about Tom Brady. Well, that's brilliant, son. Right. Absolutely brilliant. Let's get serious. I want your reaction to the, the View co-host Sonny Hostin's comments on the protests at Supreme Court Justices' homes. Roll the tape, please. While I think it is terrible that um, a justice would have to go into hiding, I think it is really clear to the justices now that, as Anna mentioned, 64 to 66 percent of Americans... <laughs> believe that the Supreme Court should uphold Roe v. Wade. Maybe these protests and maybe this outcry gives Chief Justice Roberts some leverage for a more moderate mm-hmm. approach. Maybe the demonstrators will lever- give uh, Justice Roberts some leverage. She's not exactly defending the protesters, though, is she? No, not exactly. She's a lawyer, and she knows yeah. that you cannot persuade uh, a member of the judiciary branch 
but through protests or threats, it's it, that is illegal. You can protest. I get it. But to go in someone's neighborhood like Kavanaugh over the weekend, like John Roberts over the weekend and last night, Sam Alito forced them from their house. Of course, that's intimidation. If you read the letter of the yes. law, I'm not a legal expert, but that does violate the law. And you are saying this will work. So you're saying this illegal behavior, this lawlessness behavior will persuade a justice, big or small, a judge in the smallest neighborhood or the highest court to change their opinion. That's fundamentally wrong. That's what this, that's when institutions begin to break down. And by the way, they're not breaking their opinions. No, Either no, way, they're not. No. It won't, they, they will not change their minds. That opinion is going to stand for sure. Right. Uh, Brian, thank you very much for being here, as always. Great news on Tom Brady. Awesome. Which I'm sure we're going to be talking about it all day. See you okay. later, Brian. Go Good luck, him. sir. All right. All right, Alex, listen to WABC. Hey, Alex. Hey, Brian, thanks for taking the call. Um, no you know, Joe Biden is blaming inflation on Vladimir Putin because, you know, the gasoline prices are up because we had to put those sanctions on him. But the fact is that Joe Biden is responsible for the invasion. You know, if you would have if it wouldn't have this Afghanistan situation, uh, Putin wouldn't have learned from that, that he can invade Ukraine. So the, it falls back to Joe Biden. The inflation happened because maybe Russia invaded Ukraine, but why did they invade? Because Joe Biden is president and because he's, show, he's showing his weakness. Absolutely. The one thing we know about Vladimir Putin, every time you put your hand out and go to compromise, he says you're weak. If you, if you, if you give in, he knows you're weak. And what he saw in Afghanistan uh, was absolute travesty. They say America no longer has the stomach for this. They're not going to stay in a country that they are actually supporting, let alone another country that was in the center of controversy and, of course, that he had problems with in the past. I will say this, yeah, weakness invites uh, problems, not with our allies. That's a different problem. That's an economic competition, but with our enemies. We have to understand that, Alex. You're 100% right. The other thing is if we had armed them ahead of time, knowing we know about how the Ukrainians fight, they'd be, they, were, they would have knocked out Russia already. But now we're arming them on the fly where it's very dangerous to bring stuff in, allowing that country to get ruined. We're going to be writing checks to help rebuild that country too. Another $33 billion is going to be coming in. And I think they asked for another $5 billion today on a supplemental. I don't know where this money's coming from, but I'm going to add this. Joe Biden had an inflation problem and will have an inflation problem. He, he actually diagnosed it wrong a year ago when he said it was transitory. So he has no credibility. He's going to speak in 35 minutes. Mark, listening on WABC in the island of uh, in Staten Island. Good morning. Uh, somebody mentioned about Janet Yellen. Yes, that she was converted converted by listening to all the garbage in Washington. That's that's nonsense. She's been a swamp snake since the beginning. Remember her in the Obama administration? She was in the Federal Reserve. She told Congress, "We do what we want. There's nothing you could do about it." Remember that? Well, I just I don't know what her agenda. But I know what her agenda was, and there wasn't a big sense amongst Republicans. She's got to get out. But now it's pretty apparent, oh, yeah. too. The other big disaster uh, would have been Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court, knowing what we know now. You know, and also about inflation. Inflation is not rising prices. Rising prices are the result of inflation. And inflation is too much currency in circulation. Another thing the Fed does. Which we've done for way too long. Uh, it was the middle of a pandemic, but they kept it going because they did not want to slow down the economy. Now we're all paying the price for that. Uh, Long-term hurt instead of a short-term hurt. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget, I know it's only Tuesday, but Saturday at 1 o'clock, at 8 o'clock, One Nation. 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. At the bottom of the hour, General Keith Kellogg bring us the latest on what's happening with Russia and the Ukraine as uh, Russia continues to haphazardly bomb uh, Odessa and various uh, civilian populations while making small gains in the Donbass area but suffering big losses in Kharkiv. The word is they've been forced back across the border there, and I'm just struck by what happened on the May 9th speech. There was really nothing for Vladimir Putin to say, so you thought he might do some intimidating thing, have a nuclear-armed fighter jet go over the skies. No fighter jets. Small turnout, not one foreign leader there, not even Belarusian leader Lushenko. Ben uh, Dominich will discuss that with me uh, as well. General Keith Kellogg on the tactics, but right now let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. The New York Post has also reported something that's pretty significant. Joe Biden made $11 million the first year that he was out of the White House in 11 months. That's a lot of money to make for somebody that has never had any business relationships at all. This is crying out for an investigation. Uh, That is so interesting that Clay Travis brought up last night. Hunter and Steele, stunning detailed breakdown of the fictional but impactful Steele dossier on the latest on Hunter Biden and the sugar bro finances his life. The sugar bro who finances his life as the GOP focuses on an honest investigation. They've been investigating him since 2018. What are the roadblocks that remain? Number two, I would like to find out who the leaker is so I could make sweet love to that person. That person is a hero (laughs) to me. If the leaker is a Republican uh, and if I get pregnant during our lovemaking, I will joyfully abort our fetus. (laughs) Yeah, hysterical, right? Uh, That's Lori Kilmartin, the, I guess, left wing comedian. Got a great audience, MSNBC, emotions boiling over. The imminent overturn of Roe v. Wade is the reason. As protests focus on the Supreme Court justices, homes, and churches. No joke. Sadly, the worst is yet to come. Number one. Two-thirds to even 70 percent of inflation data is is a result of energy prices. A, A large part of that is the result of President Putin's invasion of Ukraine and the impact on the global energy markets. Uh, that is Jen Psaki yesterday. I got this. This is what President Biden will say in about 25 minutes when he gives us his recipe for beating back inflation, for fixing housing, for the 11 million uh, who are the 11 million open jobs. We'll go over the details. But as long as they lead with green first, they will fail. Ben Dominic joins us now. Hey, Ben, I figured out what's wrong with inflation and why this is happening. It's because of the ultra MAGA people. You know, that's the problem, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, they're, they're definitely the ones who are in control in Washington right now. You know, I mean, they've, they've got everything. I mean, who are the ultra MAGA? You know, the, the ultra MAGA, this is the thing that I, I find so bizarre about this framing. You know, the, the MAGA agenda 
however you want to define it, is something that certainly, you know, has been, you know, a priority of most Republicans uh, in in the last couple of years. It's changed the priorities of the party. Uh, It's adapted uh, a lot of the different, you know, uh, coalitions that have come together. It's made the party more working class uh, and broadened its base among a lot of different ethnic minorities. These all seem like good things on paper. You know, you would think that that, uh, political analysts, that that pundits would say, oh, well, it's good to have, you know, a party that's, uh, you know, has a greater diversity of, of uh, economic participation, of, of racial participation and the like. But instead, no, no, it's just this is the most radical political movement uh, that we've ever seen. And then he you know, corrects himself and says we've seen in modern times because suddenly he's like, oh, wait, the KKK. Uh, and so this is a situation, Brian, where the, all of the blame that the White House uh, wants to throw around really isn't sticking to anybody. Uh, And that's because they have no one to blame but themselves, because they've got monopartisan control of Washington. They can't get anything done. Uh, And effectively, you're seeing how weak this presidency is. Is Joe Biden getting anything he wants done? It's not a situation where he's getting anything legislatively that he wants done, except perhaps on foreign policy. You know, he's not getting the Build Back Better agenda through. He's, He's essentially being blocked, not by Republicans, but by centrist Democrats in his own party. Uh, and this is a situation where I think you're only going to see them continue to, to double down on this idea that everything is someone else's fault. Uh, and, you know, you saw just the other day, Jen Psaki being asked about the, uh, you know, the problems when it came to baby formula not having an answer. You saw her being asked the question about the protests in front of uh, the Supreme Court, you know, uh, uh, justices' houses, uh, and not really offering an answer for days. Uh, You see this White House that is just behind the eight ball on the issues that actually matter and that are affecting Americans. And we've gone from them dismissing inflation as being, oh, you know, uh, this is just something that rich people complain about, dismissing supply chain issues, you know, oh, this is just you're going to have to wait for your Peloton or something like that. And uh, to a point where they seem to have no real answer for anything. And And the only explanation that I can offer you is that what we're seeing is what happens when you have a lousy political team that worked for Barack Obama during his presidency, particularly in the second term, and these are the people who were junior to them. It's, so it's, we've just gone down another rung in terms of the quality of people who are in these jobs, and they've, they've proved to be very ineffective, and they just don't know how to handle any of this. Right. Here's what Jen Psaki said about blaming Republicans for raising taxes. It's based on what Senator Scott said. I think everybody should be uh, paying uh, paying their way, no matter how little they're making. Uh, and by the way, Mitch McConnell did not sign on to this. Cut five. And as for tomorrow, the president plans to offer, as you said, a contrast. Um, and it was written, quote, to congressional Republicans' ultra-MAGA plan to raise taxes. Now, the Washington Post has called that claim false, that there is a Republican congressional plan to raise taxes. Why is this statement still being shared? Because Chairman Scott's plan, and we welcome him, we know he's asked for people to go to his website, we would encourage people to do the same thing and check out his plan that raises taxes for people making less than $100,000 a year. So the Washington Post said Biden's, uh, Biden's false claim that congressional Republicans want to raise taxes. They went on to say that Scott's tax plan is certainly ripe for political fodder, but the White House is pushing its luck. The White House earned three Pinocchios. One of which is nobody else signed on to this. This is an idea that Rick Scott had. And they say, well, he's got this great job of trying to get Senate selected. He's head of the committee. Um, I do think Rick Scott letting it out, even if it is the best idea in the world, is not a good political move. 
Well, you know, I'm going to disagree with you on that, uh, Brian, for a couple of reasons. First off, I think that we've moved to a place where uh, we need to have a, uh, you know, a, a real conversation about the level uh, of debt that we have in this country. And I think that, you know, saying that that everyone needs to pay some form of taxes uh, is not a bad idea. It's always been something that, you know, I'm generally in favor of. I would say that currently the fact is that everybody does pay some form of tax because you're paying uh, taxes in the, your taxes yeah. effectively into Social Security and Medicare. Um, and that's something that I think, you know, often gets left left out of the conversation. You know, I'm not I, I don't think you have to take a position one way or the other on, on Scott's plan. But one thing that I think is is unfortunate about the political atmosphere in Washington today is that there's an argument between Republicans who basically believe that they can win by doing nothing and Republicans who believe that they need to promise, uh, make promises about what they're going to do in certain respects uh, in order to let people know, uh, you know, the policy agenda that they're going to pursue. You know, look, we saw what happened in Georgia in those runoffs when you effectively had Republicans running as just, you know, vote for me because I have an R after my name. And that didn't work out. Uh, and those people were, you know, both backed by Mitch McConnell, you know, in one case it was chosen by Mitch McConnell. Uh, it didn't really work out, you know, in terms of, of the uh, approach that they had. And I think a big part of that is that generic politician doesn't really work anymore. It's one of the reasons why you saw J.D. Vance win in Ohio, you know, instead of going perhaps with a quote-unquote safe for pick. And that's that's the thing that I think that we're uh, we have to recognize about the climate that we're in right now. People really want to hear from politicians. What are you going to do to change the system? And yeah, you know I that's something that I think, you know, sh- should should involve them putting some things forward now. What are you going to do differently? And cuz we saw the flame out that happened after 2010 when you know had all these Tea Party people arrive in Washington, you know, saying they were going to, you know, shake things up and make a big difference and what did we get out of that? Oh, sequestration, big change, you know, that's <laughs> it's not it's not something that actually resulted uh, in the kind of things that people wanted. And well, so but you well, know why though? Regard- but you know why? It's a numbers game. You know, Ben Dominich, you could go in there with the best ideas, the smartest guy, but unless you have people around you that you've rallied to support and are willing to compromise on certain things, nothing gets done, correct? Uh, well, I think that's part of it, but I also think that a big part of it is getting the the momentum for an idea while you're running for something. You know, uh, George W. Bush, who I obviously you know worked for a long time ago, you know, he made the decision in his second campaign for the presidency that he wasn't going to campaign on reforming Social Security. He was going to, you know, the whole thing was like, I'm going to wait until after I get elected, and then we'll deal with that problem, uh, which is the easiest one to reform, by the way, because it's basically just a math problem. It's not as difficult as Medicare or some of these other things. Uh, But because he never campaigned on it, that thing got set aside basically as soon as he got elected. Uh, it never got off the ground. And and if you had campaigned on the idea, hey, if we just you know slowly bump this up, you know month by month over the coming years, we can save Social Security for coming generations because everybody's living longer. Then I think that you would have had more buy-in and more motivation. Look, you know, a good example of this, frankly, is on the border. I still don't know what Republicans are going to do when it comes to border issues when they get elected. And when they win in November, you know, they can talk about task forces and oversight and, you know, lobbing more things down the uh, Pennsylvania Avenue at the White House. But I don't know that they're going to be able to change anything about the White House policy uh, because I'm not sure that they have a clear idea about how to go about it. Uh, And to me, I think that the actual answer is to say – 
the, the border is such an important issue. The, the flood of migration from Mexico and the flood of drugs from Mexico is so unacceptable that we're going to use the power of the purse and we will absolutely hold up any kind of budget increase, any kind of spending increase until the like Biden it. administration changes idea. its policy. It's a great That's idea because you've got to pressure I, these other countries. Put that line in the sand. Put it yeah. in the sand now. Because this is this is unacceptable, Brian. Uh, you know, I was just down at the border two weeks ago. You know, uh, hanging out with Bill Malugin and his beautiful hair. And this is the thing: they, they there is such a flood of people and and uh, and dr- illegal drugs coming across the border. It is like nothing we've ever seen before. Mexican cartels are in control of their side of the border. We are not in control of our side of the border. And the Biden administration seems totally okay with this. And Alexander Mayorkas seems completely out of his depth. And so, look, we have to take some hard stands on this stuff, and it's going to be stuff that the New York Times and the Washington Post say is crazy. And, you know, oh, my gosh, they can't impeach Mayorkas. Oh, my gosh, they can't hold up, you know, budgets over the border. But to me, it's, it's you know, it's a question of is this important enough to do these hard things and to take these tough stands? And I think it is. So the other thing is uh, the Supreme Court justices uh, having their houses uh, protest their their families uh, harassed as they protest outside their houses. Uh, here is what Bill Barr said about what happened over the weekend when they were on John Roberts' house and Kavanaugh's house. And Sam Alito, evidently, his whole family left yesterday. Cut 19. I think probably the White House is calling the shots. And during the Trump administration, the hypocrisy of the left was just laid bare. They've been using violence as a political tool, and it's been seeping into the to our system. It started with all the attacks on Trump supporters in early in the campaign, and uh, it just kept on going. That was perfectly fine to go and beat up Trump supporters at political rallies. The whole rhetoric of resistance suggests that the government is is not a legitimate government. Anything goes. They're holy. They're virtuous. They're the vanguard of history, and they know what's best for everyone. So if you oppose them, if you get in their way, you you can be rolled over. The ends justify the means, and this is the ultimate expression of it. And we're seeing that now. And, you know, you see a tweet from the administration, keep the protest peaceful, but they should not be at people's houses. There's got to be a gentleman's agreement, if not a legal agreement, to stay away because you're not going to have anybody serving. Who's got a young family says, you know, I'd love to get back to my country, but I'm not going to sacrifice my family. That's what's happening now. Brian, uh, the gathering point for the people who wanted to go and march on Sam Alito's house the other day was several blocks away from where I live. It's it's a gathering point, you know, in a neighborhood where people were all going to go and march and yell and scream right. uh, and, and make a fuss and just try to scare people. And, you know, I look at that and I say, look, this is this is ridiculous. This is not acceptable. It, you know, if the shoe were on the other foot, the left would be denouncing this as an act of insurrection and terrorism. And they would call for everybody to be locked up and et cetera. Look, I'm not sure that we need to be locking these people up. Maybe we do if they start crossing a line that goes even further. But look, <clears throat> we have reached a point where the losing side uh, in in these circumstances, when the losing excuse me, when the losing side is the left, they are unwilling to accept that. They are they immediately go to threats to you know potentially acts of actual violence. And look, I think. The fact that it took the governors, in this case Larry Hogan and Glenn Youngkin, 
the governors of Maryland and Virginia, two Republicans, obviously, standing up and saying, look, we're going to provide extra police in these areas. We're going to provide extra manpower. You know, before the feds ever did anything, you know, that's that's terrible. The feds needed to be on top of this from the get go. Uh, and the fact that these families didn't already have protection is is a liability of its own. This is this is unacceptable. And it says something about the direction of the radical left, that they are willing to engage in this type of intimidating behavior uh, is a true testament to the fact that they no longer believe in representative government. They just want their outcome. They just want to smack their their hands and and snap their fingers and get what they want. They don't care how they get it anymore. And that's unacceptable in terms of a representative republic. Ben Dominic, Fox News contributor, editor of Transom and co-founder of The Federalist. Thanks so much, Ben. Great to be with you as always. You got it. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. And then we'll have Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg join us, tell us what's happening in the Ukraine. Don't move. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, to paraphrase uh, Justice Scalia, sometimes the threats to our liberty come dressed up in sheep's clothing, but this wolf comes as a wolf. This is Orwellian. It's un-American. It's unconstitutional. The very best time to shut this down was before the DHS ever announced it. The second best time is right now. This type of board was always going to be a dumpster fire, uh, but the particular director that they chose to run it is just throwing more gas on it. Uh, And that is uh, Brendan Carr. The FCC commissioner talking about the possibility that this disinformation board is actually out there for the last two months. Its director is going on maternity leave. But Brendan Carr says you can't do it. You should not be doing this. I actually think it's such an absurd idea said in such a terrible way and presented in such a bizarre way by one of the weirdest people I've ever seen in public life. Musical theater buff who comes out like a uh, like a pundit hack. A left wing, uh, a Rachel Maddow wannabe that I actually think it's an effort to distract from the border and inflation. That's how bad I think it is. So you look at this misinformation and you see the fact that this woman is probably the leader of misinformation. She certainly not wanted to disseminate the misinformation. And the new press secretary is the one who was pushing that Stacey Abrams was cheated out of being governor. So she doesn't accept elections. And the disinformation board is nothing but a believer in everything lefty, squad-like. She's a squad-like publicist. That's about it. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Naturally, I am very pleased to hear the whole world is united around Ukraine and that Ukraine sets an example of courage. However, I have to say that support can be provided in word and in action. I must note that Western countries help us with weapons and economically. However, when you are under attack, payment for medical treatment is helpful, but it's not all that can be done. Let me give you an example. When it comes to Azov Regiment, when we see the strong hurting the weak, we always come to their defense with actions instead of words and beat those who hurt the weak. And that is a member of the Azov unit, the regiment, uh, who was able to give us, uh, he asked, said if we have any questions for him, he would supply the answers on video. He does not speak English. That was the translation. And that was May 6th. I hope he's still doing okay. 
because there's about 100 civilians still left in the steel mine catacombs, and it looks like the Russians are desperate to try to take that city. They still have not secured it entirely. Uh, joining me now is Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. We've talked to him along the whole way during this conflict and leading up to the conflict. He wrote the war by other means, a general uh, in the Trump White House. Uh, general, welcome back. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. Really so, do appreciate it. What do you, what you, first off, on your victory speech, I was struck by what wasn't in it. It wasn't a call for national conscription. Yeah. It wasn't a conversion to war. There was no nuclear uh, bomber flying overseas. There was not, there was not, a, lot of, uh, not a lot of rhetoric. What do you think? Yeah, you know, Brian, I, I think there was two things to it. It was, it was pretty interesting to me. It was, uh, he first of all, in, in what he talked about, and, and words do matter, especially his words. He talked about Donbass five times. He never mentioned Ukraine as a country a single time in that speech. And 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 then you're absolutely right. And what he didn't say, he didn't talk about conscription and bringing back mass forces in there and how that would react to the public. So here's where I'm coming from in this, and I'm probably an outlier on this. But I said, okay, I think he now realizes he is not going to win this war in Ukraine by taking the country. I mean, this is a, a truly a lost cause. He won't get there. And I think he may want to try to hold on to, try to hold on to the Donbass and especially uh, Crimea, even though there's pretty strong counterattacks coming from the Ukrainians. And this may be, if you read between the lines, this may signal to me that he's willing to start talking, start talking about how do we stop this war. And, I, and I'm kind of all for that because, uh, you know, the, the amount of civilians being killed and, the, and the, the, the city just being absolutely devastated, maybe there's a way they can walk out of this and, and come to some type of agreement. And what I'm talking about, some type of agreement, Zelensky is going to be hard over. He's not going to give up the Donbass or anything like that, but he might be able to give up Crimea. He's actually said that in the past. So I looked at it both ways and said, gee, why is he doing this? It, it was not a bellicose speech. It was a relatively measured speech, and, and that's saying a lot when you talk about Putin. And I said, you know, people should start looking and said, why is he saying this now? Is there an opportunity for somebody out there to get involved in this? My frustration, though, Brian, is I don't see anybody out there that can do that right now. That used to be the role of the United States of America, and um, I can guarantee you won't pick up President Biden's uh, call. Uh, so I don't know how you're going to get to somebody to start talking, Turkey. either Macron or Bennett or somebody like that. But uh, you're absolutely be Turkey, right, right about what he didn't say. Yeah, uh, but it would probably be Turkey, wouldn't you think? Well, the trouble with Erdogan, Erdogan's a little bit of a <laughs> very candidly after working with him in the White House and, and talking to him. He's a little bit of a strange duck. I, I trust him about as much, much as I can throw the Empire State Building. Now, this is the guy who made a decision to accept the S-400 air defense system and give up the F-35s, because we didn't give them the F-35s they'd actually bought. We kept them at Luke Air Force Base in Arizona and said, you're not going to get your aircraft, and we just cut them out of the program. So he's one of those I wouldn't trust necessarily, because he's kind of a, a strange individual. He's, he's primarily a, a Turkish nationalist, but he actually kind of trends towards Russia. So I don't think Erdogan's the right one. I would hope it was somebody like Macron of France, who's been there, but, you know, Putin's kind of blown him off. But Macron is very close to the United States, even though, you know, President Biden kind of irritated him a little bit on the right. when he had that. But, but uh, General, I've got to bring you to this. Macron has yeah. come out and dashed Ukraine's hopes of joining the European Union right. during his address to the European Parliament. He says it will take decades. What are you talking about? I mean, what more yeah, do they well, have he, to prove? And Europe has shown great dedication as of late to them. 
Yeah, here's where he's coming from, Brian. When you read read what he talked about, and and he's basically said it takes forever to get into the EU. That it takes a long period of time for all of you members to agree. He kind of pivoted to something which I thought was interesting. Macron basically said, "Hey, look." Let's establish a new European community, uh, which could involve the Ukraine and, and Britain as well, because he said the European Union takes too long for somebody to come into it. So he's saying let's create a new entity. And he talked about that on at the conference on the futures of Europe just the other day. And I think what he's trying to say is there's got to be a way to help Ukraine because he's all in on Ukraine, as we all are. And I think he's trying to figure a way how do we support Ukraine, get him involved with European organizations that can help defend going to, into the future. So I did not I did not necessarily look at that as a negative. I think they looked at Macron trying to figure a way around it. He's a big European, almost unilateralist. Uh, we've seen that in the past. He wants Europe to take care of itself. In fact, he's a big one to establish a European army. So I didn't take it as a whole negative. I think it's the frustration he's got is there's too many countries out there that will not help Ukraine well, coming in. Well, General, Germany. he was quoted as saying he will load, they, the Ukraine will lower the standards of the EU. Yeah, and and what he was, you know, and frankly, he's looking at statistics there, um, and, and frankly, I, I think the big statistic is that should would allow to end the EU is they're probably a better military member of of Europe than, than anybody, anybody else there. They've got the fighting spirit and the willingness to do it, and I to me that trumps everything else that's out there. No, ki- no kidding. I, I think this goes without saying. The House uh, is considering as soon as today an emergency. $39 billion package of military humanitarian aid, $7 billion more than even Biden requested. And they, Biden is also requesting uh, aid right away. So we're spending a ton of money. And they, they also, the Ukraine Democracy Defense Lend-Lease Act, Biden signed on to Monday, paves the way for more weapons to be delivered quickly to Ukraine for their fight against Russia. What changed with the administration? What can you speculate happened? I'm sensing that they think that they the Russians are ready to fall, and that they could really knock them out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think here's my concern about the thirty three billion dollars that's out there, and then the other eight. I said I kind of step back and say, okay, we've given about as much as we should give right now. Look, the the European countries combined have only given eight billion dollars. And I said, we're giving $33 billion. I said, okay, we've kind of given our share at the office. Now it's over to Germany and Slovakia and France and the rest of you countries over there to kind of lean into that. I don't think you know Ukraine uh, is going to basically march into Moscow and force Putin to sign a, a peace deal. But I think you can throw them out of that country. But uh, you, know, you can push only so far. And I said, that's the reason I went back to earlier what I said is most conflicts end with some type of peace discussion negotiations going forward. And if we want to have some type of relationship in Europe and maybe even with Russia later on, which we don't have now because we're actually in a new Cold War, then we've got to figure out how do we walk that very tight line to make sure that everything is kind of set up, that we have a good European environment that includes Russia going into the future. I mean, look, we all understand Putin's a thug. We all understand what he did. But sooner or later, as as Secretary Mattis said to me one time, he said, you know, I don't like the sons of bitches, but at least they live on the same planet with us. And sometimes you have to think like that. And that's what I'd ask all of Biden's advisors to put on your big boy hats and start thinking this. How do we we finish this? Ukraine's not going to fall. Ukraine will remain a viable nation. But how do we make sure that Europeans are brought into it? And this huge disparity, like I mentioned a minute ago, 
between 33 billion and 8 billion is pretty significant. Is significant to me. What's with Mark Esper? He comes out and rips the president. Essentially, basically, yeah. he combined with uh, General Milley and saved the world. I guess we hear about this all the time. He says, my four years at West Point provided the foundation that allowed me decades later to stand up against a president who undermined our nation's institutions and traditions and had little respect for the truth or propriety and put himself above everything else. Is that the President Trump you know? Did you get along with Mark Esper? No, you know something, Brian, that's garbage. Okay, and I'll tell you that. I I was really frustrated when I was watching, actually, when he was on with Brett Baer last night as well. And my frustration is like, come on. That's that's not the president I know. That's not the president I was associated with. And let me just give you one example. When he talked about, well, we're going to they're talking about putting missiles on the cartels in Mexico. Yeah, we talked about it, but it was a full range of options we talked about at the time. We talked actually with the Mexican government about this. They had no control over the cartels. And oh, by the way, I said to Mark Esper, hey, look, remember. More Americans have died in the last year than than uh, than we've had on record. Only 15 states this year did not show an increase in drug deaths. Where does it come from? From Mexico, from the cartels. They are an attack on the America, and the president wants to defend America. Esper didn't do his job, and, and my frustration—he was even checked up in the start in the first place. But writing a book like that, and I and I kind of say, well, you know, there was a Wall Street Journal uh, article today on. Um, you know, reviewing the book, and it was written by John Bolton. I said, "That's enough said on that one." Um, I just, uh, you know, I just think it's really unfortunate. He shouldn't have been SecDef. I don't think he was the proper SecDef at the time, and I think he showed his true colors. Was he weak? I, I think he was ineffective. But, you know, weak is a as a interesting word. I don't think he displayed very good leadership. And I mean, I was in a lot of Oval Office meetings with Mark Esper, and he would always pull a punch. And, and what I mean by that, he would never, in my opinion, stand up to the president and say, this is what I really believe. It was always like, well, you know, maybe maybe we could do this. He was never forceful. There were people who were very forceful in the administration, and I saw him stand up and say, this is what they really believed. I don't think Esper ever stood, said what he really believed out there. And we had a very contentious time, actually near the end, uh, when he was in the Oval with Mark Milley, and uh, he, when we had a huge discussion on the renaming of American military bases, and uh, I told him that that was decided back, basically back in the 1860s with with President uh, Johnson and Ulysses S. Grant. And I told him at the time, I said, you know, Mark, you're no Ulysses S. Grant. Um, so I think he was a weak Secretary of Defense. It was unfortunate, and I think you see that and read when you read through it. Look, Mattis didn't do what he did. I think if he was, if he was really strong, what he should have done is just resign if he couldn't take it. But he didn't, and he was very self-serving in that regard. Well, he said that uh, Milley looked at him after getting excoriated because of the he wanted these riots to stop in the streets. He wanted to use the military to do it. Obviously, there's huge problems with that. But uh, And he's Milley, he got yelled at him and Milley, and they said Milley held his finger uh, like an inch from, uh, inch apart and said, I got that close to quitting. How long, why did even Mark Milley stay around? Why is he still around? Well, I don't know. Brian, I have said since Afghanistan, he should have resigned or been fired. I've I've been on record by saying that in a lot of shows. He shouldn't be there. I mean, he showed his true colors to me when he called the Chinese after 6th January and said, well, he informed everybody. Well, the person he talked to was Mark Meadows. And I told Mark Milley after that, hey, Mark, your boss isn't Mark Meadows, the chief of staff of the White House. Your boss is the president of the United States. And you better reread the Constitution, especially Article 2, Section 2 which talks about who the commander-in-chief is, and it ain't you. And and, and he should have, in my opinion, Mark Milley should have been gone quite a while ago. And, and then when you see the, the other comment he made, remember, he's the one who was on public record 
when he was talking to Congress and said Kiev would fall within three days. Well, we're about 72 days beyond that right now. And he's the same one who who told the president on Afghanistan, oh, they can, the, the Afghans will hold for another six months, seven months, eight months. Well, they fell pretty fast as well. And then you've got the, the whole woke culture. So, you know, I'm not a fan of Mark Milley. Yeah, uh, and I think that's coming out pretty clear. And I, and I, I and it's unfortunate he's still there. Right. But uh, he, Biden's not going to move him. Listen, I understand people on January sixth. Uh, after January sixth, they didn't like the president's speech. I didn't like it either. I thought marching over there would be nothing but trouble. I even said it on the air. But having said that, when if I was in on these decisions, can you imagine that every time you're just you're, you're trying to solve a problem in a roundtable fashion, you know someone's going to write a book about some of your. Uh, ideas that didn't get used. I mean, for Mark Esper to expose all this, I'm saying to myself, yeah, at the border, he was desperate. I want 250,000 troops there. Mr. President, that's not practical, but I understand your sentiment. How do we secure the border? So how do I use it? Well, you can use some National Guard troops. Maybe we can combine that with Texas National Guard. So that's how you do it. But who would think that somebody's going to jot that down and try to sell books on it? Yeah, well, Mark, very honestly, not only Mark Milley, but Mark Esper, they were really not really ready for that job that they were into, and especially the Secretary of Defense's job out there. He was always caveated, and he never made a strong decision or a strong push for anything out there. And he never – I don't think he was really truthful with the president, nor is he truthful in the book. When he talks about the missile strikes in Mexico, that was that was a discussion when we talked about all options, everything from doing something like that to doing nothing. And I reminded him at the time, I said, hey, Mark, remember – that President Bush in 1991 authorized uh, use of special operations forces to go into Colombia to kill Pablo Escobar, at that time the largest drug dealer with the Medellin cartel. I said, we've done this before, so don't keep walking back and, and, and give the, the president half answers. You know, the president is, I thought President Trump, being a very smart individual, had very good instincts. And you operate on that. And if you can't operate uh, off the presidential directives, then then leave. That's that's my that was my whole attitude. Uh, I know, and it should have been. And like out of this stuff is, uh, if you're an athlete, sometimes your best player is a little eccentric, a little different. But you like their, you like what they produce. So you put people around them, coaches around them to make them. You see it in every sport, especially in soccer. You always see these the people that are a little bit different, but a lot of times geniuses are like that. I'm not saying Trump's a genius, but we would all agree he's a little unorthodox. So there's people that can deal with that, like Mark Meadows, like uh, like uh, Robert O'Brien, like you, and other people say, well, this is crazy. I'm going to have to write a book about it. I'm going to have to leak to Politico. Mark Esper seems to be one of those guys. Lieutenant General uh, Kellogg, always great to talk to you. Well, look, Brian, thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, we come back. I'll wrap up this hour. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The president believes that there is work we can continue to do together, but he's also not going to stand by uh, and not call out what he sees as uh, ultra-MAGA behavior, ultra-MAGA policies um, that are out of the mainstream of the country and are not in the interest of the American people. Right. That is uh, Jen Psaki doing the best she can before she leaves to imprint ultra-MAGA, that new word that they probably poll-tested somewhere, Ultra, ultra MAGA, and she'll use that on MSNBC. So just get ready with the caption. Uh, as they give her own shell, you'll only have people anti ultra MAGA 
on, you know, that extremist organization worse than Antifa, worse than uh, uh, worse than the KKK. They're the worst. They're just terrible. Awful. Ultra MAGA. That's the new thing. Look, there's a lot of things you can blame the Republicans for, but you cannot blame them for inflation. By the way, they did a show, They did a story uh, in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend about what the tax and Kevin Hassett wrote it. We should have him on, uh, Pete. Kevin Hassett wrote it, and he had the numbers. The Trump tax cut or tax reform has produced everything. So the only thing I did not see is how many companies have come here when the corporate tax rate got reduced. Because, you know, they'll go to Ireland and they'll go to places like Scotland and they'll go to uh, the Cayman Islands because the corporate taxes are so low. The only thing that I didn't see is how many uh, how many corporations came back to America but they basically said it really rebalanced things and produced what it was supposed to produce. What you didn't see was the ultimate result of lower deficits that was coming before the pandemic. So I'm not an economist, but numbers don't lie. And I do look for if as long as I could trust the numbers, the tax reform had worked. And one thing that Ronald Reagan did, uh, rates ticked up. They were high already under Carter when he took over, but he lowered taxes, created a little bit of a deficit. But it was a way to get inflation under control, and it stayed under control for 40 years until President Biden took over with all those years of wisdom and experience. It says a lot that his 1130 press conference to fight inflation is 25 minutes late. I mean, how determined are you to get it right if you're going to be that late? Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.